Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Today, we've got a fun one because, look, I would have had this conversation even if the mics weren't flipped on. This is the sort of conversation we might have on a daily basis here in our office in Barcelona, Spain. In fact, we're doing it with our office mate. So we're going to have a special guest on today's show. The idea is simply this, like, what are some ideas out there in the business space that we think are overrated? Maybe we're tired of hearing about things that maybe are underrated, ideas that people should talk more about. Or maybe things are just plain old properly rated. To do it, we've conscripted our actual office mate, good friend, founder, and CEO of AppSumo, Noah Kagan. Of course, AppSumo is the best place to find software deals on the web. And I think Noah just turned out to be an amazing guest for this particular conversation because he's got an incredible breadth of experience in entrepreneurship. He's also worked at other great companies like Facebook and Mint, including AppSumo. So a lot of that experience is going to come through. When we talk about concepts and ideas like team retreats, sabbaticals, hiring a chief operating officer, and much more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. So here's the first one, Noah. The four-day work week. Is it overrated, underrated, or properly rated? I think it is underrated. Where did all this five-day come from? Like in Israel, it's six days, actually. I don't know if you guys know that. They, huh. A lot of people work six days in Israel and other countries. But why is it how many days are you working versus what's the output? And so personally, having experiment with the four-day work week, I don't care about how many days I'm working. It's like, what am I trying to accomplish and how much time do I need to be able to do that? And I think people, especially now we're in Spain, need to live. I think they're missing out on sustainability. Like one of the reasons I think AppSumo is successful is we have sustained for 12 years. And having a balance of some work, some live, great output over a long period of time is where success comes from. Is there a place for hustle culture and working five days a week? Why not six or seven, right? And I think it really just goes through, it's like seasons of life or seasons of our universe. There's like winter, spring, summer, fall. I don't know the order. And so the same thing with work, where I do think there's times where it needs to be intense and you go hardcore and there's times where you need to recharge. Yeah. And then thinking about that, not so much in time, but in output. I will say though, like with you guys and your job board, denimyjobs.com, as well as appsumo.com, there was a time when there was a lot of competitors and there's some now, but there was a time there was a lot. And at that time we were really hardcore. It was just like whatever it took to be able to beat them and create our place in the market. We've been exploring this idea of hiring like specific professionals for specific outputs. And we literally never talk about time really, except for the meetings we're going to meet at. I love that model. But I'm curious for like, most organizations have foot soldiers, people who are doing a variety of different tasks who might have a scorecard at the end of the day and outputs are responsible for, but maybe they can't completely control those outputs at the end of the day. And there's just work that needs to be done. I'm curious for like the middle 80% of companies, is it worth having the clarity around when you're expected to be at your desk? I guess what you made me reflect on is the more that you leverage and level up your skill set, the more you'll have control of your time. And the more that other people can replace what you're doing, the more you're likely to be in a five-day, six-day, seven-day work week. I think the challenge is when you have these like Silicon Valley, even AppSumo, it's like you have unlimited vacation and then people take unlimited vacation. 
and then they don't do their stuff. You're like, well, it's kind of, a, I mean, you have to do the stuff so you could have the vacation. For example, at AppSumo, we've struggled a little bit. We struggled in the first half of this year. And does it still make sense if you're struggling to have a four-day work week? Because that's theoretically a reward because we're succeeding and we have the capacity to have a little bit of extra bandwidth. And I still thought it was for sustainability is still worthwhile. In terms of like people at the customer support level, yeah, I mean, we want to respond to our customers. So like, I want seven days a week people there. But I think you can also cycle that. They're on off every other day or like some companies do what like three days, 12 hours each. So it's only three day work week. But I think the idea that like, how do you just figure out what do you want to accomplish in your company or in your life and then match that to your work? Because like, I like working. I like coming to this office with you guys. On Saturdays and Sundays, I get anxiety. I'm like, oh man, I can't wait for Monday. <laughs> All right. So four day work week, underrated. Underrated. Number two, cold email outreach. I think cold email outreach is one of the worst ways that people can grow a business. I think there's so many easier, the easiest way, and I'll just give you a very specific example. So if you want to hire someone, let's just make an example. And this is a recent for AppSumo. We're trying to hire a chief revenue officer as an advisor. And so I could cold email outreach using whatever different tool on AppSumo.com. There's a lot and it can work. And I think those tools are good, but I think you should figure out how to use them in a warm way. So what I did with the CRO thing was I looked through basically every single person who's a CRO on LinkedIn, made a spreadsheet that fit the criteria. And then on our team, we went through every one of their connections and created a spreadsheet that's like, who's connected to this person? And then I just sent an email to a warm person saying, can you connect me with them? It was one through five per person. And then we had about an 80% response rate versus cold email outreach. You're getting lucky to get like 10%, 15%. I think people default to cold email because it feels easier just to send it to some random stranger. But I think if you put in the hard work and you put a little bit more thought into it, you'll get higher results. One pro tip I've got to just call out is that if you want to get a hold of someone, send a very small, thoughtful gift. And so in terms of going back to your saying about cold email outreach, like we do do it at times at AppSumo. I'm not saying it doesn't work. Like we have to cold email a partner to say, hey, do you want to get promoted on AppSumo? We can send it out. But I think people should spend a little bit more time, A, looking for a warm way of getting to it. B, when you're doing a cold email, like really make it invaluable. You guys get emails all the time like this. Like how many emails did you get today that were like, hey, Ian, I know you, you're uh, running down to my jobs. Like, do you want to check out our service? 9.8 out of 10. You get, and you get, a, you get a lot of them, right? I'm actually getting a lot. I get a lot, yeah. And so it's There's a lot of services that do this now. A too. ton, which I think the idea of it is good. But if you actually, in each email, spent 30 minutes to make a great cold email, you'll get the reply. But no one does it. They just send the same crappy template. And then they send the follow-up. And then they have the gif. And then you're just like, I hate this company. One of the things that I see a ton, and I'm curious to see how you combat this, but is the asks. So not only are there like multiple asks, like, hey, Noah, can you do this? Can you look at this? What do you think about this? You... There's like 10 of them, right? So which one's the most important? But then should you even be asking for anything in the cold email outreach? Someone cold emailed me yesterday and I was like, I'll reply to this email for a $100 Chipotle gift card. <laughs> I'll reply to your request. <laughs> so I'm really curious to see what they say. I generally think it's one simple request that's not broad. What happens to a lot... A lot of people, if you're saying this phrase, let me know, you're oh. like, that's such a kind of thing to like, let you know what I really like. If it's like a very direct thing, can you give me 15 minutes? Can you reply with this specific thing? Can you do this? And it's like, no, I can't. Yes, I can. I think the other thing to consider is like, think about all of our lives and how fast we move on to the next task. And I just got an email from a person I don't know. And so how do you create urgency or FOMO for me to take that initiative action where like, 
you're going to really solve that problem for me right away. All right. So cold email outreach, hot garbage, overrated. Number three, building a personal brand. I'd say about rightly rated. I was going to say it's overrated and underrated. So right in the middle, properly rated. A lot of people know a lot of things about you because you make it public, whether it's around AppSumo or uh, your YouTube channel, which is, okay, Dork, which is your personal brand. Yeah. What are some of the things that have come from that for you? This is where like it's super underrated. The amount of relationships from just, and I don't think of myself as a brand. I just think of myself as a promoter and as someone who likes to share things online. It's not, I have to have this words because this is my brand. It's like, this is just what what I want to share. So when people are like, oh, your brand's really good. I'm like, you mean me? I'm not trying to be anything else. But in terms of underrated, like I met you guys basically because of being online. I met Laura Roeder who connected me with you. So many interesting people like from Tim Ferriss, from Eat Sethi, uh, Financial Samurai. I talked to this girl named Sorella Moore. She's a popular finance blogger. Shout out to Financial Samurai, by the way. That guy is Dude, awesome. Dude, Sam, Sam, I think he's saying his last, I don't know if he's saying his last name now, but he has a new book out by this, not that. Sorella More. So <laughs> that's just like connections, right? I've been able to get customers. I've been able to get friends. There's just, I've been able to learn about how to communicate. Like building a brand is really just putting yourself out there. So for that regard, it's amazing. I think in terms of where it's overrated is that it is work of sorts. Like I have to consistently put stuff out there if I want that brand to be relevant, but I also enjoy it. So it's something I'm going to do till I die, if I ever die. Where I got <laughs> a little burnt on the brand stuff is if you're at a company and it's not your company necessarily, like my whole f- Facebook, I was number 30. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys knew, um, but there Mark sat me down and was like, this is my company and this is my show and it's not yours. And I was blogging at that time and I was blogging before that. I was going to blog after it. And that was really hard because I still wanted to post and, and share. And I did want my name to be out there and I wanted to feel respected and valued or validated, but there's conflict in that instance, right? Where sometimes like when I'm hiring people and they have this, like they're super public brand, I definitely will hesitate more than someone who's like, I'm just here. I don't need to be the star. So there, there is definitely some moments where being considered, because you're hiring someone who's like Twitter popular. It's like, one, are they actually good? Or are they just popular? And two, if something happens, they're going to all over you. What are some of the attributes of like a good personal brand? In your case, I think it's a lot of authenticity. What are some of the things people should be looking to do if they're building their own personal brand? What's your why? Like, do you really want a personal brand? Like, I didn't set out to build a personal brand. I set out to build like an audience and a community and like a tribe and like a group of people that I can interest, they can share things with me. Like I've been going to Israel and people I'm hanging out with, I've met through just sharing online. So why do you want to do it? Do you just want attention? Do you want validation because you didn't get it? Do you want to just meet cool people? So I would start with that. Number two, I would start with a goal. So like, hey, I'm going to try to build up an audience. So I'm going to do a hundred tweets. I'm going to try to get 100 subscribers. I'm going to try to do 100 YouTube videos or 100 TikTok or 100 Twitter, whatever it is. Pick some goal that you can commit to. And then in terms of finding like the material you like to talk about, I would just post whatever the hell you're doing. Especially like early on, if you look at okdork.com, it was like, hey, I'm in high school and I'm going to college. And like me and Tiffany like went to the cafeteria at college today, right? And then it evolved to like, well, I'm going to talk about marketing because I'm kind of curious about this. And then Seth Godin replied to me. He like posted about me. And I was like, I'm going to only talk about marketing. (laughs) <laughs> and so, you know, okdork.com is like, and a lot of my content is very business and marketing focused. So I, I would not be, put so much pressure to like have to find your authentic, unique voice. I would try a bunch of different types out and then find what works for you. There's an interesting challenge though is what is your style and what do people give a f- about? Because a lot of people are like, well, no one's listening to me. I'm like, because it's f- boring. 
right? It's not interesting. And I was thinking about it with my YouTube videos. I've been putting out these videos where I go up to strangers and ask how rich they are and what they do, or I go to their house. And those are really hard, but that's what people want. And so there's a balance where I'm like, how can I make it fun for me? Because I also know that that's what the audience likes. And the challenge afterwards is I do enjoy it. So trying things out to figure out what stuff is getting resonation and then balancing that with what you want to do and be able to sustain it for a long period of time. Yeah, like behind the scenes, just sitting here in the office with you, kicking around ideas for you know what videos you're going to make. A lot of times you're just like, hey, I don't want to do that. Like it's not interesting to you. Or you just actually just physically don't want to execute on the idea. Yeah. And I think that's cool that you're just basically like you have these boundaries basically of like things that you just don't do or you're not willing to do. But I also think that's what probably makes the channel interesting is like it's actually you're a tastemaker. A few pieces that are interesting. So I hired a firm to do my, I've had two firms do my TikToks. I have a firm now doing my tweets. And it's been really interesting because it's like they're trying to represent me. And I'm like, the first one would put, and TikTok, I don't give a shit about. Like, I just, I was like, you can diarrhea whatever you want. Just take whatever content I've done and put it out there. And he filmed me and we put it out. And I was like ashamed. I literally thought, I think I've told you about this. I was like, I thought I was making the world so dumb. I was like, dude, and people were liking it. I'm like, oh, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I deleted most of them because I was like, dude, and I stopped working with him. I was like, yeah, I just, it does not represent, I don't feel good. I think that's a, what you said, Ian, is a great call. It's like, how do you feel about what you're putting out? And so with TikTok, we, we started with another agency. He's taking specific pieces of my content and repackaging it. Every time he puts it out, I'm like, dude, this is insanely great. So that, that's been an interesting experience. And the same with the Twitter where we hired a firm and they're taking my material and they're writing tweet threads about it. And it was interesting because like, I was like, dude, this is so generic. Like I would never say anything like this. And so it is interesting to work on that and be like, well, what is my voice and what are the things? And then to your point about brand, and this, is, this applies for companies, not just individuals, like maybe codify what are the things that your brand stands for and what they don't stand for. Now with this agency, I'm giving them feedback about like how I talk about things. So as they kind of write up content, they have an operating manual to be like, no, I would never say something like that. I don't like the word secret. I don't believe in secrets unless it's an actual secret. But business people love it. 10 secrets about Google. I'm like, those aren't secrets. They're <laughs> online. <laughs> people know about it. So like, that's an example of like my personal like authenticity guide. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm working with them on that so that as they're writing content with me or taking my material, I'm like, they, um, they can start representing my voice better. All right. So creating a personal brand, properly rated. Next one, team retreats. <laughs> Probably underrated. Tell us about your last team retreat. The last team retreat we did was in December. We went to Costa Rica. So, so just to set the stage a little bit, you had a... a pretty big office on uh, oh, yeah. on 6th Street here in Austin, Texas. Before that, you had some condos that everybody was kind of crammed in. Then you kind of went like full bore, like glass on the main street there. It was like yeah. an official HQ. That's since like gone away. So tell us like a little bit about the retreats that you were doing then and the retreats that you think you'll do in the future. Starting at the beginning, for me, I don't think life is all about work. But I think early on with me work, I was just like, you know, I worked so insane at Facebook and not that insane at Mint. And I never really felt like I worked insane. I was just like, yo, there's so much cool stuff to do. I want to go do it. But I also want to like balance that like to the four day work week with living. And so first year of AppSumo, I was like, I want to get out of Texas for the summer and or summer and winter. And so in the winter, one of the guy's grandparents had a condo in Coronado Island. So we went and stayed at his grandparents' house for the weekend. <laughs> and it was awesome. We, we did some work and then we did some chill and it was like, wow, what a cool way to like connect with the people you work with. Because 
half of work is the purpose of what you're working on. And the other half is who else, who you're doing it with. And in the summer we took, we went to like Travis and we did boating. So I always did twice a year as a way of the summer one was because it's hot generally. So you want to relax and, but it's more of a work retreat. Like, Hey, what's planning? And the end of the year one to me is a reward. And this is when you had like a physical office and like everybody was kind always. of chilling together already. We've done it both ways. So when I, even when we've had an office, we've always done it. I'd say the only Delta is we've kind of pulled back from our summer retreats because it's expensive. And the winter retreat, like we went to Banff. That was cool. They can be very expensive. So I think this year it's budgeted around 350000 for Per a year, year for the company. Yeah. So it's like, what, 70 people. So it's like a few thousand a head uh, per person. What we're doing now, which I, I like, and I think it's easier is going to like all inclusives because figuring out some of this logistics and like what activities, you know, people have kids, like they don't want to be gone for a long period of time. And this year we're in, encouraging people to bring their, their plus ones if they have a you know, husband, wife or partner. Because it's like, dude, who wants to be away from their, their family that long? A couple of quick questions on the family front. Number yeah. one, a lot of these like async companies are basically saying, hey, like, if you want to give people a reward, like let them give them some money to go have fun with their friends and their family. What do you think about that? And then is there ROI to this stuff? So hmm. it seems like there's two it's different kinds question. of companies out there. Like there's like these tribal companies where the social element's a big part of it. And then there's other companies that are just yeah. like an assemblage of professionals, you know, yeah. where, where it's like, I'm here to work. Like I, I don't want job. to be your friend. Like, That's... Well, I think, I think what it really is saying is what's the culture of the company you're encouraging? And there's, there's not a right or wrong. It's just whatever leadership or team wants to, to be facilitating. And we had some tough financial times this year. And to me, for the people that are still at AppSumo, I want to reward them with the retreat. It's been part of our traditions, part of our culture at the end of the year. But there's something to be said for like, yeah, just give me the money. I think people don't notice money as much as they notice experiences. So having this experience is definitely something that are like, dude, that's freaking cool. I'm not sure it's as much of an incentive as it could be. Like, hey, we're spending 5,000 bucks on you. That's an interesting question. If we offered it, like, hey, do you want the money for the trip or no trip and you got the money or the trip? It would be interesting to see how the, the votes would be tallied at AppSumo. I think there's an age separation where if you have family and you're like more established in your personal life, you may not want to go. But for a lot, we have a pretty decent size team base of like 20 year olds. And they're like, dude, free party somewhere. It sounds great. And I will say what's been fascinating in terms of ROI, we could do analysis of like who's still there and how many retreats they've been to, right? Like, is there a correlation? But there is definitely, I remember last year, there's some people like a guy in the finance team. I was like, man, I like this guy a lot more now. And you really get to know people on like a more intimate level, which from a, if you're, if you want to be completely like strictly business about it, it's like, oh, that actually benefits the retention levels of your business. Yeah. So you could, you could probably argue it that way. It's not, we're not that strategic about that per se. We just want to reward the team and if we can afford it, do something cool for them. Well, we've noticed that in our DC membership, for example, that the amount of time they stay in the community is highly correlated to, are they going to events with other members? Because now you've built relationships with others and it's easier to break a professional relationship than it is one that you value personally as well. Final question on these uh, retreats is, uh, number one, how do you decide who gets to go? And then number two, like, are the people that go to these retreats still expected to like work or make sure that their tasks are taken care of while they're there? Are you HR? Yeah. <laughs> Just like asking the, for a friend. You're fun police over here <laughs> for shutting, it, shutting down the parties. Well, a, a third part I would say is like, what's acceptable behavior on a retreat? You're here to party, but you're also part of the company here. Like, what's okay? So in terms of number one, 
we're codifying that at AppSumo. We've, we've had different, here's an issue. Like if someone is a support person in the Philippines that just started making 18,000, this retreat costs four to 5K to get them there. So a third of their salary to bring, right? Like that's kind of nuts. And they probably want the money more potentially. And so do you then have like, do we have to individually bias against who we choose? The way I've tended to look at it is like anyone who's full-time stateside, there's not really any question. It's like pretty much a given. If you're a contractor internationally, it's really about the role and how long you've been with us. Your second question was uh, at work. That's actually, dude, there's some of these things that are really fascinating. So like the support team, so we do deals on AppSumo.com and the support team is like, well, we have to support the deals. Like if we're out here, how are we going to do it? And then same with like the launch operations team, they get the deals on the site. They are expected to still keep things going. So they have to figure that out. What's fascinating to me is like the problem, you know, we used to own a manufacturing company and like there was like the warehouse culture and then there was like the office culture. And like when you got together on parties, like it was always like very clear, like the difference in cultures, you know, it's still like the same thing with these remote companies. Like you're talking about like your support staff, whether it's like in the Philippines or whatever, and like then your Austin crew and then maybe your developer crew, wherever they are, like the cultures are very different. So like even getting people together and yeah. like expectations, how much they should work, not much has actually changed since we had a manufacturing business. Yeah, well, an old school businesses solve this problem by just having the office Christmas party, which awkwardness for all, number one. And number two, like you can shut down the business. So everybody just goes autoresponder for like two days for, your, for the awkward party day and then the hangover day. <laughs> One, shout out Hanukkah. Two, <laughs> two, I'll tell you about Spain. I went to my favorite, you know, bakery this morning and they're, they're closed for August. I'm like, I love it. Good. Hoffman, they're closed. Yeah. And I, I think that's a cool culture. For me, I think one of my greatest satisfactions about these team retreats, probably like the greatest satisfaction is when someone's like, I've never left the country. I've never, I've never been able to afford or go to this kind of place. And I've been able to do it because of the company. Yeah. And I'm just like, that, that makes me feel really, that I feel fulfilled when, when people get that. Cool. So team retreats. I would encourage more people to do it. And it doesn't have to be expensive. You can do affordable. You can do a potluck even. Like just do something where you get a bond with the people. It makes all the difference. Team retreats, underrated. All right, cool. So business coaches. Underrated, overrated, or can I can I actually <laughs> change this one? Do you not like you can pass if you don't like it. Can I these. actually just change this one for Noah because I know him just to coaches in general? Coaches. Oh, yeah, I like I like that. Coaches. Well, okay. Let's break them down. I think we should have categorically coaches, biz coach, life coach. There cool. you go. Life coach is overrated. Uh, <laughs> uh, Just as a profession or like what you see on Instagram? Let me, let me break. Coaches in general, super underrated. Business coaches, depends. I'd say it's in, it's in the middle. So this morning, I came from my boxing coach. That's what I was doing this morning. So You've also mentioned a uh, relationship coach. I have a relationship coach session in the morning tomorrow. Stephanie Rigg double underscore R-I-G-G. And she's been transformative for me and how I'm approaching myself and how I'm approaching relationships. Uh, I have a Hebrew teacher slash coach. I have business coach Dan that you guys have met. Uh, You've had chess coaches in the past. Chess coaches. Magic coaches. Oh, yeah, Jonah. You met Jonah. If you can hire someone that shortcuts your learning, like they shortcut it to like get mastery and give you accountability, I don't know why more people don't do it. Right. So the boxing coach today, I've been boxing two and a half years. And one, it's good to change up coaches. The other important thing is good to know how you learn because it's not the coach's responsibility. It's your responsibility to tell them what you need. And so with him today, he was like showing me like very nuanced things that like I've been boxing a few years. And it's just, I was like, dude, I had no idea about this. And it's nice to have real time feedback where he's like, do more of that, do more of that, not that, do that, do that. And he's like, I'm going to see you next week. I'm like, I don't want to come back. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I would say coaches in general, I think more people should be using them in way more instances, like just across the board. Like think about anything you really want to get better at, biking, cooking, writing, speaking, podcasting, whatever it is, like for podcasting. I didn't do a long session with him, but I hired a producer of NPR Planet Money. It's like, why not hire the best guy in the, one of the best podcasts in the world to help coach me on how to improve my podcast? So I'd say coaches in general, I think people should look way more actively. And then the, the question people ask is, how do I find them? How do you find it? Just look for, I would only use through network, more or less. I would try to find, ask anyone who's like at a level you like, or that seems like it on Instagram or social media and be like, hey, do you have a coach you recommend here? And be specific with it. Don't, don't be as broad. Like, do you have a magic coach? Do you have a marketing coach? Do you have an email marketing coach? Business coaches, it's a really interesting question because I think there's, there's this very big debate. Not, no one's debating it, actually. There's always <laughs> this kind of like conundrum. Do you hire the coach? So a very easy example for me is like when I go to the gym and I've had personal trainers, do I hire the most ripped, jacked guy there or the best coach who's a fatty? For you? Because that's one of the things that you mentioned is like the alignment between like player and coach. Yeah. There has to be like the right kind of relationship or... And not know. every coach is great for you, but I think the, the part of the challenge with like a business coach is, is the best business coach Jeff Bezos or is it someone who's actually really good at coaching and is, understands business really well, understands business, but is not a great business operator? Where it's a real conundrum... There you go. ...is because you can coach above your experience and you mm. can be so compelling and in a non-falsifiable world of business is you can genuinely mislead people. You can gen I've seen people coach over their heads, in other words. Like, they've never run a 5 or $10 million business, but they're right. coaching someone who's doing it. They're very confident about what they're saying, but they're inaccurate. So you need to have a little bit of both is the answer. If you look at the NFL, most coaches on the sidelines are former players and typically not star players. Yeah, like Belichick. Look at Belichick. I don't know. He barely, I think he barely played in college. And then he never really, I don't think he ever played NFL. But he is one of the, world, the greatest coaches ever in the NFL. And that's like, that's one, I don't know, Phil Jackson, I don't know how well he did in the NBA, but he's one of the best coaches. Steve Kerr, though, I mean, you could argue Steve Kerr, great player and great coach. So for me, I will say my preference has always been to pick the player. I pick people who've done what I want to do in most instances. So like my business coach, Dan Putt from Reboot.io, he has not run like a business larger than mine. But I also have advisors and people that have, so I don't need him to do that. I need him to work on my mentality. But ideally, I, I would love someone that, that is that. A boxing coach would kick my ass today. All the other people uh, better. I think with business coaches, what I'd recommend is try a few out based on what you're working on and seeing, here's what I want resolved. Here's what I want to work on and see how that, is, that coaching is for you. Yeah, and I want to say this too. It's often these like life coaches or thirsty coaches or whatever that opt you into some <laughs> like big financial commitment. A legit coach should understand that there's a feeling out process that doesn't need to be some ridiculous pay and commit because that's part of the process. Like yeah. if you hear that yeah. or take equity in my business, perhaps on the third session. If your business coach asks for equity in your company ever, call me, just call me. And we gotta, we gotta work that situation I, out. I don't I might, I kind of disagree a little bit. All right. Nice. Let's get for it. Um, well, two things. Uh, I always do this thing where I say two things. One, I, I paid a business coach $10,000 a day for two days. It ended up being around 23000 with like some other hours. And it was like the worst, probably the worst money I've ever spent. The main thing I took away is like, you know, you know that 20000 you pay me? He's like, that used to be in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you son of a bitch. But I was just so lost about what to do at AppSumo. 
uh, I, I'm not going to call his name out, but I was just like, I, I just want someone to tell me what to do. And then, you know, I think that's, you know, maybe paying him the 20,000 helped me really get it, but it didn't. I think I would have looked at, I should have evaluated more coaches and looked more internally about what else I need to work on. So I just like assuming that this one person is going to solve all my problems. To the equity piece, I, I will tell you a specific example. So the CRO guy that we talked about it earlier, he's like, you can pay me cash, you can pay me equity. And so I think it depends on what incentives you're trying to align to and just aligning around that. Fair enough. Because for him, he's like, look, you can give me the cash. And it's a lot of cash because he's like super like top. He was ex-Google, ex-Microsoft. He's top at a startup. He doesn't need cash. And so, and theoretically for him, saves us money. But if the company does well and his advice is helpful, he gets that reward. Okay, so I'll say this. In your case, you have a sophisticated cap table and like- A little bit, yeah. Yeah, so I think at different phases- That's a good call What out, I'm yeah. bitching at, like, and, and that does seem aligned. I'll often see the case that there's a, a naive small business owner who's on a little bit of a heater, like something's, and they're in that vulnerable situation where they're calling a coach saying, I'm confused, you know? And then the coach comes in and says, ah, oh, you know, I, I have 10 clients. I've, you know, I've seen this a million times. And then on like, Meeting number 10, it's like, you know what? If I could just come in for 20, 30% and we partner on this, you don't have to come here asking me these desperate questions every week. Wait, we can be business partners. It happens a lot. Really? And for no capital. Because the business coach, it's like a shrink that tries to sleep with you. They know your <laughs> vulnerabilities. <laughs> That's a good one. The one other comment I, I want to make on coaches when people are thinking about it is like, I've had a therapist, you can call him a life coach of sorts. And I think life coaches, it's always, are they living the life you want to live? How do they actually want to talk to you about your own life? And I, I was working with this guy probably like three, four years. And it's always tough love. It's like, you didn't do this right. And he's like, if you want fun, go to your friends. If you want like work, come to me. And it was always broad. It was like, we're going to talk about whatever's going on. It was interesting. So the summer I took a break from it and I was like, why don't I go a level deeper, like go more specific? So then I was like, what's my biggest problem? My biggest problem is relationships is in my perspective. So I'm going to find a therapist that, or coach that specializes in relationships and pause the more general one. And it's been transformative. And that's also the way that they coach. So this woman is very like, you can text me anytime, voice memo me anytime. And I do. And she's like happy about it as well. The way she coaches is much more like supportive. It's not like this tough dad thing, which I think could work for me at other points in life. But right now I'm just like, yeah, no, you're doing great. Don't be so hard on yourself. Like you don't have to feel guilty about these things. They're not right. the shame or here's ways that we can work on this stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is like relieving. I think one thing, if you're working with your coach and you're dreading it or you see it on your counter coming up and you're like, right? Versus now I'm, I'm meeting with her tomorrow morning. I'm like, oh, I can't believe it's already been two weeks. Like this is amazing. Yeah. Like, and she's exciting to always talk to. So I, I do think it's like going more specific and noticing how you're feeling coming into your sessions uh, with your coach. Cool. So business coaches, mixed bag, complicated, interesting. Go do it. See what you can get out of it. Whether you're a founder, a recruiting manager, or just the person who does everything around the office that's also hiring the next person, we've got stress-free ways to help you find your next great remote employee. Check it out. Click through on your phone. I made a chart that shows all of our products for SaaS and e-commerce companies seeking to save time and build elite teams. Try our flat rate recruiting product. We have a 90% success rate. For teams who need to hire quickly, try our pre-vetted candidates. Right now on our website, we've got over 200 potential team members that our experienced recruiting team has already spoken with and are looking to go work at companies like yours. And for companies seeking to maximize candidate flow and direct it by skill, 
location, level of experience, all while filtering out spam candidates. You got to post a job on our incredible platform. Go ahead and post a job over at Dynamite Jobs and click promote. That starts at just a few hundred dollars. All of our clients receive full email and phone support so your campaigns won't ever stall out. Check out our site or schedule a call today. Dynamite Jobs, the hiring platform for remote first companies. Next one, and I mean as a meme, finding a CTO. (laughs) Where it's like, uh, I have a great idea. I just need a technical partner. (laughs) Uh, Overrated. Way overrated. 100% overrated. Because when you're starting any business, what you're really focusing on is what is the actual problem you're solving, not a technical need. And when you're, people use it as, what, what really happened is, is people are using that as an excuse from rejection. And they're using an excuse from fear. Give me, any, give me any business idea that needs tech. Uber. Uber, great. So, oh, I have this idea for an app. It's going to bring people to my house and pick me up and all this stuff. But I need a developer, otherwise I can't do it. All right, well, let's break down. What, what's the problem you're actually solving? Getting a car to the house when you request it. Okay. Is there a way of doing that without any tech? Yes. Call Noah. I call the taxi cab company. Tell them to show up in front of your house in 30 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. There's that. You can start creating a spreadsheet of drivers and people who request. Check in with them via text every day. Like, hey, are you going anywhere? Just text me and I'll get you a driver. Then you, you have a list of drivers who are available. No code. Still no code. Google Spreadsheets. And there's also a lot of no code options on like AppSumo.com. There's like Airtable is a popular no-code. There's a lot of these no-code options, but what people do is they overcomplicate it and they give themselves too much wasted money, wasted time to actually solve the problem of like, oh, well, I need a founder. I need a tech guy or girl to build this to be successful. But it's like, go validate the idea. I call it million-dollar weekend. Give yourself 48 hours because that limitation will help force you to solve it. From there, then you might want to go find technical support to now help scale that idea. And I think people get it backwards too often. For example, Groupon, which is not a great company as much now, still worth half a billion or 300 million, which I don't know, that's a pretty sizable business. It was built on WordPress, right? AppSumo is built for $50 with a PayPal button. I manually emailed everyone's codes. So you came to AppSumo.com, you hit PayPal, send me a PayPal receipt, I got the code and I just emailed you. Crazy. And then now it's like almost a $100 million business. You know, so I, I think the technical part if you're trying to attract someone, is it more appealing to be, Ian, I'm going to pick you up in a Ferrari. Or is it more appealing if I drive and there's a Ferrari that you see? Of course, it's more appealing if I, and that's the problem when you're trying to get a technical co-founder. You're like, I'm going, to, I'm going to bring a car. This car is going to be the greatest car you've ever seen. And there's nothing there. But if I show you that it's already real and it's already happening, so much easier to convince you to come join the winning team. So CTO in the beginning, overrated, basically go out, build your product, validate it, Airtable, all these cool tools now that you can use that isn't necessarily automated, but like you can get the job done manually. Use the tech to scale that process, right? 100%. Uh, what about so this next tech? tech is a fear cope. I like that. Yeah, big time. Well, what about this next phase? So like I'd say in, at uh, DJ, we're in part of this phase now. You have a technical team in place and you start building tech, right? But it starts to get further away from what we just talked about now, which is like, oh, wouldn't it be cool? Don't you think we should do this? Wouldn't it be cool? So how do you keep bouncing the ideas off your customers and doing things manually even after you have a technology team in place so you don't go and do the same thing that you're talking about doing? It's the Kevin Kevin Costner strategy. It's the build it and they will come strategy. Well, I think manual works a lot longer than people realize. 
And like, you know, it's like people, like I was looking at our Facebook ads last night, spent about 200,000 a month. And I was just, just to give you an idea of the scale of it. And it's like, everything's automated. And I'm like, why don't we just do it by hand? I think if we did it by hand, we'd actually make a lot more money and we'd save a lot more money. What do you mean by hand? Like right now, all the deals are automated. There's all this feed stuff coming in. The text is automated. I'm like, I think if we did it manually, it would actually have higher conversion because the, the images would be better. The text would be better. Targeting would be better. And so there's just, there's a parallel in business where it's like, no, we need tech. We need it to be automated. It's like, see how far you can go manual. The two call-outs that I think, Ian, you're, you're, you kind of triggered for me in a positive way is one, I think it's helpful to just learn basic code stuff. Like go use like replete.com. Go learn even Airtable. Maybe learn some metabase.com. Learn some SQL. It's just helpful to have some understanding, not a deep understanding, but some light understanding. That's where I got to. Like, I can code PHP, I can code WordPress, I can code that stuff, but I haven't touched that in a while. Now, the second thing I would say for anyone who is interested in tech, I, I love tech. We have, I don't know, a team of about 15 or 20 engineers at AppSumo. Go and start looking for amazing people before you need them. I think that's a really key point. So like, Chad was my first customer of my previous startup. So Chad is your CTO. Chad is the CTO and my business partner at AppSumo. He was my customer. And I was like, this guy's good. He's always responsive. He's always got a good attitude. He was really quick. He always delivered exactly what we talked about uh, when he was talking about it in his own games. I'm like, dude, this is great to work with you. So start looking for amazing people on Twitter. Look for cool projects on AppSumo. Look for cool projects on Product Hunt. Look for cool products, anything you see and reach out to those founders. Just send them a tweet. Be like, hey, I really love what you're doing. And just keep a list of those people. So as they're working on things, either you can join them. You don't have to create the idea. Or maybe you can get them to work with you. Same thing with like, I bought a WordPress plugin. So one of my marketing strategies was to buy all these WordPress plugins and uh, promote sumo.com through it. And I, met, I bought one of these plugins. It was like $300. And I asked the guy, I was like, hey, can I pay you like 20 bucks an hour or 30 bucks an hour to update it? Like, yeah, for sure. We've been working together like seven years. And he's like super well-paid, whatever he wants to do. He can do whatever he wants. Like I'll do whatever I can to keep him working with, together. Taking a step back in terms of features and things like that, every one of my seven to eight figure companies so Kickflip, which was Facebook games. I started with a guy in the Philippines for like 15 bucks an hour. I was like, just copy this. Just copy the exact thing. AppSumo was started with Muhammad in Pakistan for $12 an hour. And then from there, now, as it got working, it was much easier to then recruit other talent. Like I recruited one, you know, start looking at your network, start building these relationships. One guy came through my blog. So I think, I think technical vendors are essential. I think engineers are the smartest people in the world. You don't need them to start a business, but I do think you'll eventually need them because the outsourced development Technical level, depending on who you get, is not always scalable. But people do, they put, they definitely put it way too early to actually needing that. Cool. Love it. Find a CTO overrated. Number seven, taking a sabbatical. Oh, wow. Have you ever taken a sabbatical? I would say overrated, but how do you define a sabbatical? Let's just define it like it is. A sabbatical is when you take time off to go do something completely different than you normally do, typically something enriching. Yeah. So I, I think about three times I've stopped working pretty much completely. One was at Intel. I took a month off and walked around Thailand. Next time was, 2000, so that was 2004. 2013, I walked around India for a month. So Intel, any major company, after like seven years, you can get a sabbatical. I just found it really unfulfilling. I think if you need a break, you need a break. And I don't, however long that is, go take your break. But it's like, how do you, as we talked about earlier, I think one of the main things I've noticed in this phase of my life is sustainability. Like, how do you have a life where you're just like, okay, I'm going to take a few days off. That's great. But I actually like what I'm doing all day. So it's not something I want to be leaving. Yeah. I do think if you, I generally think that relates to jobs you hate. And so I think that's one part of it. I do think there's another part where you're like, I just need to refresh or reset. So like, is it a sabbatical that I left Austin to work in Spain? Not really. 
But to me, it's been a huge refresh and like, I got to check how I'm living and see what I want to bring back to Austin or what I want to keep here. A couple times a year, you go on like bike rides with your brother, maybe for a week at a time. Yeah. What does that look like? Is that a sabbatical? I mean, are you working during that time? When I think of sabbatical, I generally think it's like a month or longer. But I think people should take one week refreshes, like have a reset and see what you miss and see what you don't. And it's really interesting when you have no distractions going on, how creative you can be. Like a few months ago, I did a camping solo trip and I really didn't use my phone. And I was like, you can just do whatever you want this week. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, dude, this was awesome. And I was like, let's do more of that. So I have it in my calendar to schedule that. And so I think people should just reflect back, like what have been the moments that they've either felt productive or they felt refreshed or they felt like they were getting what they needed and see when's the last time they had one of those. And maybe what I do is I put it automatically in my calendar. So I have a reminder that's like, it's time for you to leave Austin every year. And it just reminds me like, oh, it's time to leave Austin, I guess. And I have a reminder now that's like, it's time to get in some nature. So I think for anyone out there, regardless of a sabbatical or not, like what are components of, of a great life for you? And then like, how much are you doing of those? And for me, like, creating YouTube, working on AppSumo, biking with you guys, living out here is like, oh, let's try to do a lot of that. So sabbatical probably, did I say overrated to start? You said overrated. Uh, I think I would, I think a sabbatical, if you hate your life and this is the only way you can escape is overrated. But I think mini refreshes or mini sabbaticals is really underrated. I think there probably needs to be more of those. Next one, in like sort of the seven figure business world, the meme is, hiring an integrator. But in the eight and nine figure business world, you say hiring a COO. And I'm curious, is that overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated? Highly underrated where that has been transformative at AppSumo in a lot of moments in my career. I've had a number two who doesn't need to be in the limelight, doesn't want to be person in front, but loves following through and executing and making things happen. And I think so many people try to just do their strengths and weaknesses, not just like my strength is like kind of ideas and marketing and promoting and like speaking to people or speaking, you know, at the company and to people. And Alona, who's the VP of operations, the number two at AppSumo, loves making shit happen. Like her, her excitement is making a new process. And That's so cool. I think it's great to look for people that like get new ideas, have new ideas, make them happen and follow through on them. And there's a lot of people who are excited about that. I definitely think it's underrated as you want to go from a smaller business, six to seven figures at seven to eight and beyond. You need people who want to do the, the limelight stuff and you need people who are going to do some of the operations. And so right now at AppSumo, she runs, she's the, I would call her the day-to-day CEO. So how would you describe in your mind, how do you think about the difference between a COO and a CEO? She's thinking about today, I'm thinking about tomorrow. Could you also describe it kind of as a CEO's role is to drum up and create new opportunities in business, like essentially grow the business and then COO is to manage the revenue that you already have. That's a great way of looking at it. Every CEO and every CEO, every, I mean, every person on the planet is different. I love marketing, right? Like that's my sweet spot. And it's like, well, should I be spending more time doing that? It's like, yeah, that's what you're good at. Like go help get your name out there, get AppSumo's name out there and bring more people that can help buy software deals or promote their software stuff. So I'm moving more into like my strengths versus just like, you know, leadership. I'm, I've always been kind of a leader of sorts, but now I'm like learning how to lead a larger company, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, I would say I'm getting better at it, but I'm not great yet. So it's like, well, why don't you do stuff you're great at while you're improving this piece of it? And Alona's, you know, facilitating like organizational, she'll she'll fix the org chart, GMV changes. Gross merchandise value. Yeah. So anything with revenue. So she's working on some new revenue projects that are like super high value and then our customer project. So like we're doing a really deep dive into who who are our customers and who are our partners. And it's like, those are the three most important things to execute today on that will help us grow in the future. 
Uh, and so she's facilitating that. So what does a GMV project look like? I was curious. It's... Yeah, so GMV is gross merchandising value. So what that means is that if you run a marketplace, so like an Amazon or an Etsy or eBay, and, and AppSumo is a, a type of marketplace where it's like there's people creating software and there's people that want to buy tools. It's the price times the transaction amount. So how much transactions are happening in your ecosystem is what GMV is. So how do you increase the amount of buyers and sellers that are expanding that pie? And so one of the projects we're, we're working on at AppSumo is that our best, some of our best customers are agencies. So freelancers, solopreneurs, people that sell services like SEO, ads, email marketing to other companies, they buy their tools in AppSumo and that's what they use on their clients. And so we had focused on that. And so Alona with Chris are leading a project to how do we find net new customers that aren't on AppSumo? And then the customers we currently have, how do we help them have more success and spend more on AppSumo? Hiring a COO, underrated. Two more to go. Geographically centralized teams. <laughs> I'm on like the fourth phase of AppSumo to give us oh, underrated or overrated. I think it's properly rated. That's kind of a cop-out answer. I, I, th- <laughs> I think it really depends on the business. Well, tell us, you're on your, you're on your fourth phase. So what I were started, the first phases? When I started, I was just like, everyone should work wherever they want. It's great. And then as we started scaling, I was like, I want everyone to be in Austin. If you're not in Austin, you're not part of AppSumo. So we got an office and everyone's a part of Austin. And then I was like, Austin's hot. I don't want to be there all the time. And I, don't ever, I want everyone to live whatever life they want, which may or may not be in an office. And that was like seven, eight years ago. Eamon wanted everyone to be in an office. So, so Eamon then came in as CEO. And he, within AppSumo, he had everyone come back to the office. And then when COVID hit, I was like, free for all. Let's go back to that. I think you just have to be mindful of the trade-offs. I think for every company, try both. Because there are trade-offs. Could it also just be two at different phases of the business? Like I saw somebody on Twitter uh, mention they were like running a poll or they had a question. It was like, who are you more scared of? The three founders that are like in different locations or the three founders that are all in the same office together? Like who would you rather not compete with? Same office. So as an example, Nick, who runs marketing at AppSumo was in Barcelona and he was here for two days in our office, two days in, our, in the co-working spot we, we work at. It was very effective having him here. Like we can get on a Zoom and we could try to use some like whiteboarding thing app to like communicate. But the fact that I can like walk across the hall uh, I said, hey, can I come chat? Yeah, we like whiteboard stuff out. We talked it out. It was just like so much more productive. I think the counter to that is I find offices highly interruptive, right? Where you're like trying to go to the, you're just trying to go to the bathroom. It's like, hey, how's it going? You're like, dude, I just want to take a dump. I'll come back to my office. I also find that like having whoever your Nick is around for a week, it's amazing. And then on week number two, it's not as amazing. Yes. I remember back in the day we had to be in the office at times. I felt pressured, like, I can't look at Reddit now or I can't look at Twitter because they're going to see my screen and realize I'm dicking around and, th- and I know they're dicking around. There's, you know, some office cultural things that I, and I didn't really care for. But I think, you know, having, so what we currently is hybrid. We are Austin first, but also remote friendly, I guess you'd say. So we have two, we have three small offices in Austin. My dream, which we can't afford to right now, is that like, we just, we comp everyone's office worldwide. So if you want to work in Barcelona, we give you 400 bucks. If you want to work in our office, you can work for free there or you can travel. I do think having regular people coming in uh, is very productive though. Is there something maybe new that here that it sounds like we're hinting at, but we haven't, there's not like a process for yet. I think like your, your guys coming into the office here in Barcelona, it was like kind of through luck and happenstance, if I'm understanding it, like there was a wedding here and like people were kind of, yeah 
passing through, but you got the benefit of it because you co-worked. Are we missing out on an opportunity here to like co-work like independently of what we talked about earlier, which is like the team retreat, whereas like it sounds like in your case is more of like a party at yeah. a... At a I, I think there's like a beehive model that people that's like on the tip of everyone's tongues that we haven't seen a bunch of influencers blog about yet, but that's happening. What would be the beehive model? Well, you know, the bees like, don't hang out in the hive all day long, but they might go on a war raid together. And I think it's interesting to have flexible, legible hybrid models. I'd love to hear your guys, because I think we also forget how it was. But, you know, your guys have been working together now here almost every day. But for months, I, I guess I'm curious for you guys, how is different is it when you're together versus not when you guys are working? Hi, highly productive. So, you know, but to what we we're talking about before is like if we did it every day for 365 days a year, I think it would have diminishing value, right? So it's like a matter of like understanding what the cadence is, coming together for that, and then going off being creative, sabbatical, you know, but, but also whatever it us takes. doing it then with other key mem- team members. Totally. I think that's what I'm pointing to because I saw it happen with you here with uh, marketing and Alona. You yeah. came in for like three or four days. It was like banged a bunch of stuff out and then like went your separate ways. Problem is it's super expensive. Very expensive. And, and how, do you, how do you develop a legible model that like everybody's on board with that reduces the cost and makes it feasible? I wonder if that's also you keep a more lean team so it is affordable. Hmm. I had also read something on Twitter uh, about this. <laughs> tweet thread, dude. Which is, uh, you know, if you like, uh, I, I think it's a could be a fun experiment. Like if you add up your office expenses in Austin and then you add up your team retreat and then like these little beehive sessions that you're talking about and everything, like the travel and everything probably eclipses the office. Well, you could, yeah. Th- take and, you know, and the salary differential as well. That team retreat budget is healthy and... You could have these many things where it's like the marketing team's going to get together for four days and yeah. X, Y, Z. I think that's an interesting model as I well. I think that's a great call out. Ian. Like our office was about 50-ish K a month all in, maybe 55. So you're spending like 600,000 a year on an office that post-COVID and during, you know, 10, 20 people came, right? And so then I think what you're saying, which is really interesting is start looking at like what's your cost per person and think about alternatives and then really experiment potentially like this year. So like from this year, we we're going to get another office. And I was like, I want to have no more. We're going to have our tiny little offices and that's it from now until the end of the year. And we'll just see, get people's feedback about how they feel about it. And then next year, maybe we'll, if we can afford it, we do the co-working thing. Maybe we do this beehive model. And I do think you guys are right though. Come together, but maybe not as long. That's a cool idea. So geographically centralized teams, just about in the middle, appropriately mm-hmm. rated. Our final one, uh, it's tough to pick. I, I feel like we could do, we'll have to come back and do it in six months again. Focusing on one big thing. It is underrated, but it, people overrate that they think they're doing it. Okay. <laughs> Unpack that for us. I, I love that answer. I have no idea what you mean. When you ask someone priority, like what's your priority? They're like, I got three. So which one is the, which one are you working on? All oh, three. And even wait, in, wait, even in our life, three priorities here in Barcelona? What are they? God. All together? God, God country, country, cycling. It's confusing. It's confusing. Which one matters most? And so, I read this book, Amp It Up by Frank Slootman. The book, Essentialism, everyone loves. It's my favorite book of all time. One of my favorite books of all time, Essentialism. There's the one thing, which is a big hit. So everyone is aware of it and everyone loves it. But it's like everyone, it's like when people would say that they're a minimalist, but they have a bunch of shit. You ever notice that? I'm like, dude, uh, your place is full of crap. Like that's not- <laughs> Just because they bought a minimalist thing? Yeah. They're like, oh, it's a minimalist. It's a coffee book. <laughs> it's a pictures of people who actually are minimals. 
<laughs> I think it's underrated in the sense of like, if you have a focus of what you're trying to accomplish, it makes things very easy to say what you're saying no to. And I think most of us don't actually do that. And we're not, I think basically life is three things is what I was reflecting on yesterday. Where are you going? What are the things you need to do to get there? And what are you not going to do? And that kind of applies to all this stuff. And in a lot of our lives, I think we're committing to too many different things versus like, you know, Barcelona, we joke about God country cycling, but that's really our areas of priority. We're like, these are the things that matter. Anything else, not this, like, like you guys are like, we're cycling today. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to cancel other things because that's what matters. And so I think in, in our personal life, as well as professional, how do you dial in more just only the few key things, even if it's just a few, not just one, and dial to that. Now in a company setting at AppSumo, and this is what I copied from Market Facebook, is like we have one goal, which is a certain revenue goal this year. It's 79 million uh, GMB. And I don't think the whole team knows that. And then what happens by having a focus of that is that as we're prioritizing our our products, as we're prioritizing sales, as we're prioritizing our marketing, as we're prioritizing our customers, it's like, okay, well, What's our goal? That, okay, is this going to help that or not? And if it's not, we need to be very disciplined about saying no to those things. And I think it's like the minimalist thing. Everyone thinks they're doing it, but go look at what you spent your week on. I would bet almost everybody doesn't allocate the time of their week to the thing that they say is the most important in their personal life and in their professional life, myself included. With uh, the relationship coach, uh, Stephanie, she called me rudderless in my, my relationship life. And I think there's a really strong parallel to personal and professional in that, in that comment, which is, what does rudderless mean? It means there's no direction. And so having a focus of one, you know, with one thing, she's like, where do you want to go? Now, as you're now ruddering to whatever your destination is, like, what are you not going to do? And how do you know when you get to your destination? So the things you actually want. And it's definitely, I've used that now in work. I'm like, what are the main, if not just, we have a goal, but what are the three things I'm going to do to get to our goal? So for me, it's, it's the triple P. It's people, profitability, and performance marketing. So those are my three Ps for this quarter to help get to the 79 million. I think the hardest thing in life is not getting what you want. It's figuring out what you want. That's hard to know what you want. To get it is actually pretty easy. Ladies and gentlemen, Noah Kagan. Noah Kagan, everybody. Thanks for joining us, buddy. We appreciate your time here. Love you guys. Shout out office mate, Noah Kagan, founder and CEO of AppSumo and inspiration to many. Check out his wonderful YouTube videos at OK Dork. Even though I share an office with him, I will occasionally find myself on his YouTube channel watching his videos. They're just that good, interesting, creative, and funny. So we appreciate him dropping by the pod this week. We hope you got some, we hope you got some business nuggets out of it. That's it. We hope you enjoyed our summer game of overrated, underrated, or properly rated. If you've got ideas of things that are overrated, underrated, I'd love to hear them so we can talk about them on this show. That's it for this week. We'll be back, as always, next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.